This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon, and with me as usual... On this fine Sunday morning, my co-host, Naz Marchese. How are you this morning, Naz? I'm good, Wally. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much. Um, well, uh, up until yesterday, there would be lots, lots of stories in sports we want to talk about this week. Uh, of course, golf's big with the Ryder Cup. The Jays are in, uh, in the throes of a, uh, of a, of a stab for, uh, for a playoff spot. And, uh, of course... Uh, World Cup of Hockey wrapped up this week, and uh, we were talking a little bit about soccer this morning as well. Just want to let our listeners know who our guests are this morning. We'll be talking to, at 9.15, we'll be talking some golf with uh, John Steinbreder. Of course, uh, John Steinbreder has been on the show before. He writes for Masters.com, and he's one of golf's preeminent golf writers. We'll be talking to him about um, the Ryder Cup, of course, and, and also about the passing of Arnold Palmer. In the middle of the hour, we'll be talking to Carmine Marcantonio, Carmine Marcantonio, member of the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. We'll be talking all things soccer and TFC. But Naz, I'm pleased to report uh, this morning to our listeners, I keep them up to date on your wardrobe. Today we've got Toronto Maple Leaf uh, pullover and Blue Jay cap. So let's and, start. Uh, and an undershirt, the Crimson Tide <laughs> of Alabama. So let's talk about the cap first. The cap. Uh, the cap That's first. The Blue Jays. I was, I was uh, getting a little bit worried. It, it wasn't. It wasn't a great week for the Jays. Although uh, we desperately needed last night's result because it's been a floundering Jays ship all week long. And um, of course, this is Zoomer Radio, and I'm old enough to remember 1987. Uh, and yeah, it at, feels at, a little at, like that, doesn't uh, it? I, at the risk of uh, at, uh, jinxing the Jays, but. Uh, but when, as Yogi Berra used to say, it it was like it was deja vu all over again. Uh, yeah, but everybody's it, been. It, it, uh, it got it got a bit. Uh, the noose got a bit tight this week, Naz. Friday night it did, but okay. you know what? They're all they're all playing the same way. The Tigers lost to the Braves. Uh, the Orioles lost to the Yankees. The Orioles lost early in the week. They won late against the Jays. It's been like a, they're all five and four, four and three, five and four. In the okay. last stretch, so uh, late result last night. Uh, Jays pulled it out in the ninth. Um, I'm uh, I, I can't figure these things out as well as you can, Naz. Please bring our listeners up to date. What it like? My understanding is the Jays are going to even if they lose today, which. You've assured me they're not going to lose. Well, today. I didn't say that. I said that they're, they're going to get in. <laughs> okay. They could all lose. But, but uh, even if they lose today, they're guaranteed one more game. So uh, let's figure all this out. Uh, where are we? Where, where are the Jays? Um, 
What happens if they win today? If they win today, that's the easy part of the scenario. They win today. They host the game Tuesday night for the AL, uh, for the elimination game with the wild card game against either Baltimore or Detroit. If they win. And that's assuming Baltimore wins as well. No, it doesn't matter what Baltimore does. Oh, it doesn't matter. Okay. So if the Jays win today, they're playing Tuesday night against Baltimore or Detroit. Detroit, If they win. So that's the easy part. Yeah. If they lose, what happens? If they lose... Uh, the Tigers still have to win two games to tie their game and a half out. And they they have to play Monday. They have to if play Monday if, against Cleveland okay. in Detroit. To, as their final regular season. Correct. Game. Okay. So if the Jays lose, they still will have another game. We just don't know against who and we don't know where. Correct. Depending on what else happens today. Correct. Okay. So did everybody understand? No, I don't. I mean, it's, 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 life's getting too complicated. Um <laughs> Just so, win, just win, please. <laughs> just win and get it over with. But apparently they're putting Price on the mound against the Jays today, but uh, uh, the reports are he's not going to pitch the entire game. And that would, uh, you know, and if I was Farrell, I, you know, you got to be crazy to pitch. 50 pitches, That's, yeah, that'll I be mean, it. He's, I got to assume he's the race and he's going to be the guy starting the first game for the Sox. And talking about who starts where, um, Sanchez is starting for the Jays today. Yes. Okay. And he would have been my go-to guy. Uh, obviously, it's him and Hap, one or the other. But in in a one-game scenario, Sanchez would have been, in my estimation, the Jays' go-to guy. Well, they're in a one-game situation this afternoon. So well, not really. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, they still have another game. Yeah. But uh, if it, all things being equal, uh, Sanchez starts today. They have another game to play. At least one more game, maybe more, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, and if Sanchez goes today, he's not available for that game. And so who starts the Jays' first, let's call it quotation marks, who it's going to be. wild card or elimination game or whatever it is? Who's, go- who's it going to be? I think it's going to be Liriano is going to start the game. He's pitched three, you- three games where he hasn't given up a run, and he's looked dominant. I think it's going to be Liriano. You got Liriano uh, lined up. You know, um, Jays uh, have a. They have a. I, it's either him I or like, Stroman. So, uh, uh, which one would you take? Interesting thing about the Jays is they have, um, and this is uh, I don't know the exact terminology. They have a sneaky good. It's not even sneaky because the stats bear it out. But I guess they don't get the credit for how good of a of a starting staff they have. Yeah. They, you know, the the numbers bear it out. They they don't have the overwhelming uh, superstar like they had last year in uh, in David Price, the guy with the cachet. Let's let's call it that. He's not. Yeah. We don't we don't have a Verlander. Uh, we don't have one of the like top five echelon pitchers. But from one to five, uh, the numbers say that the Jays have the best starting five in baseball. That's correct. I think you're right. But, uh, um, Sanchez is is developing into a Belander price yeah. type pitcher, though. So you can look at that and say he's coming, though. Yeah, and um, the hitting has not been consistent. To be fair, over the course of the last month, September was not a good month for the Blue Jays. Um, the hitting has been spotty, and the bullpen, the seventh, eighth inning. Uh, I don't know what adjective I want to use for that. Um, lousy, abysmal. Uh, 
needs improvement, whichever one you want well, to pick. Well, I'll tell you what. Pick, uh, pick one for me. I'll tell you what. The pitching staff, the, the bullpens of all the, the teams except for Baltimore with their stopper, Britain. Britain has been perfect. In the latter part of the last two weeks, they've all broken down. Like if you look at uh, Boston's uh, reliever, he's he's out of it right now. He gave up a run in the uh, ninth inning yesterday. They're all breaking down because they're tired. It's been a long, long season for all the bullpens in Major League Baseball. And the only guy that Zach Britton's the only guy that's maintained it, the, the stopper for Baltimore. And that was, uh, I guess, when you look back on last year, that was, um, uh, you know, we look back on the, the biggest difference. What got Kansas City the World Series is last year their bullpen was basically uh, – you know, once once they turned the ball over in the seventh inning, it was basically game over, yeah. um, and that's that's that was the strength of the KC team last year, um, and doesn't seem on the American League side, anyways, that it's it's it, it might be a crapshoot in the playoffs. Uh, I think there's so. going to be a lot of excite, a lot of fireworks in the seventh, eighth inning, ninth innings of a lot of these games. Yeah, we don't have a Ward and Hanky set up the way they, the, the Blue Jays did in the well, past. Well, those, those, those setups those days don't exist they, they very don't much exist. anymore anyways. It's, Wish they did. Uh, I mean, that was, you know, you look back at the 92-93 Jays. I mean, Hanky was, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he was only there the first year. Yeah, he and was then, there and in 92. Then, then Ward took over as the stopper the, the following year. Yeah. Um, but those, I mean, those those years when it was Ward and Henke, you turned the ball over to Ward in, in the eighth inning, the game was over. It was automatic. If you, had, if you had a lead, the game was over. Um, but that doesn't necessarily, I mean, and, and with the Yankees for a good part of the last, you know, 15 years, you turned the ball over to Mariano Rivera, the game was over. Um, uh, but certainly that, that doesn't appear to be how the AL East is shaping up this fall. So... Uh, uh, if 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 the bats get uh, you know if the, if the Jays find lightning in a bottle and they wake up those bats, uh, anything can happen. They're a tough team to play. They only had four hits last night, and uh, Kevin. But Pilar, those are the games they got to win. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's know? what I mentioned to somebody. They got to win the two-one game, three-two, four-three game. Not hope for a nine-five game and win the game. They've got to they got to win the one-run games. Now let's put it this way: this will be. Very interesting come Tuesday. Toronto beats either Baltimore or Detroit. They play the Texas Rangers in the next <laughs> round. Can Are you imagine call- Major League Baseball would love oh, to I, see I, that matchup? I think, Toronto I, I, and Texas. I think Vince, wow. I think Vince McMahon should, would love that uh, would love that matchup. I think I think we should I think we should create a WWE episode around a, a Jays Texas matchup. Holy but certainly smokes. that will get the juices flowing and 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 drive the ratings up on both sides of the border. Anyways, we've got to go to break, and we'll be right back after the break with John Steinbretter. John is one of golf's preeminent golf writers. We'll be talking about Arnold Palmer and also about the Ryder Cup. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced that you can get a three-topping party pizza with 24 slices for just $24. It's perfect for large groups on a budget, like staff meetings, sports teams, or special ops units. Go, 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 go! So before you break down any doors, get a three-topping party pizza with 24 square slices for just $24. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636. There's an old saying, 
Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000 square foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740 radio. And once again, if you're listening in downtown Toronto and the condo towers and the office buildings are interfering with your reception, we are also on 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome back to the uh, Naz and Wally Sports Hour, John Steinbreder. John is one of golf's one of the golf world's most preeminent writers. You can find him at masters.com and also at Global Golf Post. Been honored by the Golf Writers of Association of America 10 times. John, welcome back. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. How are you, John? Fantastic. Beautiful uh, Sunday morning here in uh, Connecticut. Got a lot of work to do today, which means the TV's going on soon and we'll be... Uh, listening to and watching a little Ryder Cup in between uh, story assignments. Well, the Ryder Cup has been certainly uh, uh, interesting uh, interesting so far, and the, the U.S. is exactly, I guess, where they want to be. And I want to come back to the Ryder Cup, uh, John, but I, first, before we go there, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the passing of the great Arnold Palmer. And I know that you wrote uh, a piece for Masters.com this week. It's uh, titled... Love at First Sight, Arnie and the Golden Age of Television. To, to, uh, Arnie and the Golden Age of Television. And to all our listeners, I highly recommend the piece. You can find it at masters.com. John, I want to talk about the passing of, of Arnold Palmer. Um, and, and, and it, you know, he certainly um, revolutionized 
don't know if he revolutionized the game of golf, but uh, he was certainly an incredibly important figure uh, in moving golf from where it was to where it is today. Um, what was the message in your article about uh, Arnie and the golden age of television? Well, it just, it was such a, as I describe it in the piece, a harmonic convergence of three pretty remarkable things. You had a very young Arnold Palmer, it's 1956 is the year I'm talking about. It was two years removed for him from winning the U.S. Amateur, uh, two years before he won his first Masters. So he hadn't won a major championship yet. Um and uh, but he was a great looking guy who played really well and, you know, had a pretty decent Masters that year. But um, what was interesting about it is 1956 was also the first year that CBS broadcast uh, any of the Masters at all. And it was uh, also really when the Masters was, you know, about 20 years old at that point and was just starting to sort of become a, a tournament of importance. Uh, Sneed and Hogan, I think, had won four of the previous five Masters. Um, it was starting to develop quite a quite a lot of cachet around the golf world. So you had the Masters sort of coming of age, and Arnold and television just sort of starting out at the exact same time. And within a couple of years, Arnold would go on his run, and he would win four Masters over uh, what was it a six year period of time? I think um, fifty eight to sixty four. Uh, yeah, and so he would win his four Masters, and television would get bigger and better, and the Masters would get bigger and better. And so it all kind of happened and started to happen right then and there. Um, and for uh, football fans, American football fans, you know, 1958 was the greatest game ever played, the Colts-Giants uh, overtime. Uh, that was also televised, and I think that was, you know, had a, had a dramatic impact on television sports as well. So it was really... Uh, all these things happening at once. And, you know, with Arnold, of course, it was more than that. It wasn't that he was just there at, at sort of the birth of uh, television and golf coming together, but he was a big reason why they worked so well with each other. He was uh, a great player, had a lot of panache, a uh, great-looking guy, big forearms, uh, big hands, blacksmith hands, uh, uh, a, a strong, powerful swing. Um, you know, hitching up with the pants, uh, putting out the, uh, putting down the cigarette, you know, flicking it to the ground before he hit. He just had such a style about him that uh, people uh, gravitated to uh, right away. And uh, as I said in my piece, you know, the galleries loved him, the television audiences loved him, and both the galleries and the television audiences, uh, and he loved them right back. I mean, he absolutely. Uh, Dan Jenkins had a great line once, uh, nobody liked being Arnold Palmer more than Arnold Palmer. Nobody liked being the person that he was on this earth more than Arnold did. And he just embraced um, golf and his role there as one of its better players as, as the world of golf embraced him. And it just grew and grew and grew. And he, he was certainly the most important golfer in the history of the game. I mean, obviously, there have been better players and um, people hit it farther, people won more major championships, but I really think he was the most important person uh, golf has ever known. John, uh, interestingly enough, uh, it's been a convergence of uh, uh, in the last few months, uh, and you make the point about Arnold, but uh, you look back in the last three months, we've lost Arnold, we've lost Ali, and we've lost Cordy Howe. If they're, you know, three of the biggest sporting icons of, of the 20th century, and, and 
And in some ways, Arnold was the biggest sporting icon of the of the 20th century. Uh, in a lot of ways that, that you've just described, and I saw it described one way: women wanted to be with him, and men wanted to be him. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I, I saw that clip, but interesting enough about Arnold Palmer, and I'd like you to comment on this uh, based on your observations or if you ever personally met him. You know, one of my prized possessions is I got, I was at Bay Hill uh, a few years back and I got Arnie to sign a, uh, a pin for me, a flag for me. And he always made the time when he, was, he used to hang around Bay Hill all the time. And anybody who came in into that pro shop, he'd sign something for you. But I think what came across about the, through, his uh, his character and you know it's just he just seemed to be an extraordinarily humble decent man and, and that's why people loved him is that your impression john oh absolutely he was the most humble person of stature i've ever met in my entire life and and two things sort of stand out as you as you talk about this and you know i'm like a millions and millions of people are a regular user of facebook and i've never seen in the aftermath of somebody dying, and you can look at Gordy Howe, or you can look at Ali, or anybody else, um, so many people put up so many photographs of them with Arnold Palmer. You know, nobody had shots of them with uh, of them with Ali. Very few people had shots of them with Gordy Howe, and I was fans of both, believe me. But everybody, I seem to think, had a shot of them with Arnold Palmer. And everybody, as you just told it, and I've got about 10 of them, we all have Arnold Palmer stories. Um, the guy was just not only ubiquitous, but he was so welcoming, so generous of spirit, so generous of heart. And, um, you know, that more than almost anything else is his legacy. You know, he was a great human being. And, um, and there was never, he was never too busy for anybody. He was never too busy to sign an autograph, pose for a photograph, listen to his story. And he was just a sweetheart of a man. And uh, that's the thing that stands out about him to me most of all. I've never met an athlete like him. I've never seen anybody like him that good with people. And, um, you know, it resonates uh, as people mourn his passing. Like I said, just the stories about him, the stales of him, the pictures with him. Uh, I've never seen anything like it, not even close close to it, uh, as I have with Arnold these last couple of weeks. We're talking to John Steinbrenner. John is, of course, you can find him at masters.com and also at Global Golf Post, um, a digital uh, golf magazine, and uh, one of golf's preeminent golf writers. John, uh, uh, we're going to uh, change the subject just a little bit because there's a great event going on uh, right now, and the uh, U.S., uh, nine and a half, six and a half. Uh, they're literally in the same position they were about eight years ago at, at Medina. Um, what are you looking forward to this afternoon? Uh, you know, I just, I, I enjoy the competition so much. I love the team play. I think all of us as golfers, as recreational players, I think we enjoy seeing the guys playing uh, as teammates. You know, I, we enjoy the, uh, the four ball and the, you know, and, and the giving of putts and, and sort of um, that, that group play is great fun. It was amazing that the Americans did as well as they did on uh, Friday morning with the alternate shot, which is a very foreign game in the U.S. Um, I don't know how it is up in Canada, but, you know, they played a lot more over the U.K., and, and, and people can relate to it better there. Um, so that portion of the, of the match is always fun, but I, I think that, you know, the individual matches, who's paired against whom. I mean, right out of the gate with Patrick Reed and Roy McIlroy, I mean, that's going to be a lot of fun. 
I, I just I think it's exciting. It's hard to it's hard to tell, of course. Uh, comebacks come uh, come up some years. Uh, you know, the American team has had a hard time with the Ryder Cup for a number of of times, but they're in good position. Uh, and you look at the lineup. There's some great matches today that should be a lot of fun. And I'm just looking for a real fight out there. And I think the the crowd a little rowdier, uh, you know, for my taste. And I sort of <laughs> like. I'm kind of a I love the Masters. I like the decorum down there. I'm not, you know, I'm not into hecklers. And I thought it was kind of interesting that Rory got some guys thrown out of the place yesterday. I probably uh, applaud him for <laughs> applaud him for that. But I think it's going to be a hell of a day. I mean, you know, you got, uh, you know, Reed and McElroy starting off at 11:04. And you got Spieth and Stenson and uh, Ricky Fowler versus Justin Rose and. Uh, Mickelson versus Sergio. Um, I mean, these are you know heavyweight matchups. Uh, Snedeker versus Andy Sullivan. Uh, uh, Kutcher versus Kamer. Uh, you know, th- these would be a lot of fun to watch, and I, I think it's going to be a great afternoon. Uh, no way to predict, but the U.S. team looks pretty good right now. There are a couple uh, a couple guys in the, in the Europeans that are looking a little weak. Kamer and Westwood, I think, are combined 0 and 5 among them. So I think the U.S. has definitely got the advantage. We'll see what happens, though. Patrick Reed has made a name for himself uh, in this uh, Ryder Cup. What's his personality like uh, off the off the greens and fairways? You know, I don't know Patrick uh, at all, but um, I was over in uh, Glen Eagles uh, two years ago and watched him. And, you know, at a pretty lifeless U.S. team then, he had a lot of spirit, a lot of... Uh, uh, verve to him, and and I, I sort of like that. I, I don't hear many good things about him personally, but one line I hear about Patrick Reed all the time is, you know, we don't really like him, but we sure like having him on our team. So <laughs> I think that sort of aptly describes, you know, the conventional feelings about the guy. I mean, not a particularly warm and cuddly guy, not a guy that a lot of people really like, but man, he can play, and he's showing himself now in the second Ryder Cup to be somebody who really knows how to rise to the occasion of those team matches, much as you know, guys like Sergio and uh, and Colin Montgomery and um, and uh, Poulter have done in the past for the Europeans. You know, and certain people uh, embrace this uh, uh, competition, and, and Patrick Reed seems to be one of those that really does. John, uh, Phil Mickelson made some comments during the week. Can you comment on Phil Mickelson's? Uh, Shocking! St- Phil making comments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm sure. Hal Sutton had the great line when he, you know, I think Phil was crit- critical of Hal Sutton. Uh, this is going back, you know, a while. And I think, you know, Hal's line is, listen, you got other things to worry about this week. Like, you know, winning this this uh, Ryder Cup and, and not, you know, going back all these years and giving me a hard time over how I captained mine. <laughs> I mean, Phil's great, and I like Phil. But he's always, you know, Phil always, I, I think, feels he's the smartest guy in the room. And he just can't help himself sometimes. It's just it's Phil being Phil, you know. He went out and... Uh, you know, he and Ricky played well yesterday morning, and um, and uh, you know he and he and Cooch did okay too. <laughs> you know, he's he's actually doing pretty well. But it is funny to have a guy who's got such a lousy Ryder Cup record getting sort of mouthy about captain <laughs> people, and if you just would really, I just I, I would think that if um, you know if you were uh, you know twenty one and four in, in singles and uh, in four ball and foursomes play, that you can talk a little bit when you're. You've got a sub-500 record, and you're coming off a pretty terrible Ryder Cup uh, two years ago. I, I think you'd be talking about other things. Talking about con- he did apologize, though, right? Yeah, he, he apologized he, uh, straight away. Uh, talking about con- he got to work. 
Yeah, talking about comments, uh, Davis Love, uh, I, I don't know if it was if he really meant it or it was just a tactical uh, a tactical thing to divert attention from the team. But uh, he was quoted as saying, this is the greatest collection of talent on a Ryder Cup team for the United States in history. And I thought, <laughs> I thought that was a little bit over the top, uh, given this team hasn't won anything yet. And also given the fact that uh, you go back in history and look at the 1975 team, it had nine. It had nine Hall of Fame golfers on it. And getting into the World Golf Hall of Fame is not the easiest task. I mean, you talk about names like oh, Nick, Nicholas, Casper, Miller, Floyd, Guyberger, Irwin, uh, Trevino, Weisskopf, and you wanted to rank this team against those guys. I thought that was a little. And a guy named, and a guy named Arnold Palmer. Yeah, well, he was he was the non-playing captain that year. But uh, that that was uh, for the history books. Uh, I, I thought Davis got a little bit ahead of himself, but uh, sometimes that's what you know. Sometimes that's a tactical thing. And Gretzky did the same thing at the 2002 Olympics when Canada was uh, was under the heat hockey wise, and he just deflected all the criticism to himself and kept the heat off the players. So uh, certainly, we're going to look forward to this afternoon, uh, John. Uh, I'm kind of pulling for the kind of pulling for the U.S. I'd kind of like to see them win it. Uh, uh, it's been it's been uh, 2008, but they haven't had a good run lately against the Euros. I think it's time to win again. Well, you know, you it got kind of boring when the U.S. is winning all the time, and I don't think it gets quite as boring when the Europeans are winning all the time because it just drives the Americans out of their minds. And all these <laughs> national peace, and you know, I, I kind of go back and forth. I just love the competition, and I love how guys rise to the occasion, and. I just think it's a great way to view golf, and I played actually played golf yesterday with some friends of mine, and it's interesting to talk to them. And it, it's been a weird year, as, as you know, with the Olympics and the majors. Everything seems sort of compressed. And you know, what just last week was a FedEx Cup, and I know I feel a lot of golfers share my sentiments. It just seems like there's been no rhythm and no uh, sort of nice tempo to the uh, to the golf season this year because of because uh, of these changes, but. I mean, I, hearing my friends talking yesterday when I played and we were having a beer afterwards, people are fired up about this. I mean, people love the Ryder Cup so much. Uh, they really look uh, look forward to the team competition and, and to the passion that's out there. And I think it's going to be a hell of an afternoon. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. John, uh, once again, uh, certainly a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, giving us your insights and your uh, about the Ryder Cup this afternoon and certainly your heartfelt remembrances about the king of golf, Arnold Palmer. Thanks so much, John. Hey, listen, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great way to spend uh, Sunday morning, and uh, have a terrific day. Cheers. Thank you so much. Enjoy the golf. That, of course, was John Steinbrenner. Uh, we'll be going to break, and we'll be back right after the break with Carmen and Mark Antonio. We'll be talking some soccer. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced the Pepperoni Party Pizza Special. Get 24 slices for just $24. Can you eat it all? In just 24 hours, 24 square slices smothered in pepperoni. You've also got to deal with six bottles of Pepsi. 24 plus six Pepsi for 24. Can you finish it? Go to pizzaville.ca for details. 
At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto and we're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour Carmine Marcantonio. Carmine is a local uh, soccer legend in the Toronto area, a member of the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame, inducted in 2014, and a member of one of Toronto's most famous and perhaps a little bit forgotten team, but certainly not forgotten among soccer purists, Toronto Metro's Croatia, 1976, North American Soccer League champs. Kanmine, welcome to the show. I want to thank you for having me, for inviting me to your show. Oh, it's our pleasure, Carmine. I, I sent you on a cell phone, and I know that uh, we're probably holding you up from a tea time, so uh, you have to have to speak uh, close to your phone and, and uh, a little bit louder. But last night at BMO, uh, TFC uh, didn't get the result that they uh, were expecting, and they've had a little bit of a bad run Lately, Carmen, I know that you're a follower of the team and uh, you're a soccer analyst. Uh, what's going on with TFC right now? This is this is not the way we wanted to be headed towards the playoffs. Fill no, us in. No, no what what uh, I'm concerned. I, actually, I was at the game. I was at the last few games that they played at home, and this was supposed to be, you know, making a statement with these uh, home games coming up at the end of the season. And uh, basically, I think. They're a team that is in trouble. They're playing worse now than they were playing uh, early on, uh, early in the season, mid-season. 
And it's a bit of a concern because if you look at the teams that they play, these are teams that they could be facing in the playoffs. Uh, they lost to Montreal. They tied to, to with Philadelphia when they were outplayed in the first half uh, quite badly, and they, they just tied. They tied with uh, New York. You know, we know that game, 3-3 game, that uh, they were losing 3-1. So, and they tied also to the other team that they tied recently was uh, Orlando the other, the other night. And, and, and yesterday, as we know, a big game, the biggest game of the season. And they came out and, uh, and, and they lost. So they're not doing well, and it doesn't bode well for this team at this point, I think. Carmine, I just want to... Um... Um, uh, get a sense of uh, how much not having Sebastian Jovenko in the lineup. I mean, to be fair to TFC, he is the best player in the league, uh, was last year, this year. Uh, you know, if he's, if he's not the best player, he's certainly top three. And, you know, and to be fair to the team and to the manager, uh, how much of a difference? Obviously, that has to hurt the team. Um, and uh, how much of a how much of a difference has it made not having Jovenko in the lineup? Well, obviously Sebastian um, is is the one that's made the difference in the last two years. I mean, he's a top class player, and and uh, and he's earned his uh, keeps and he's earned his money because they paid big money for him. Now, one thing I was reflecting with some friends of mine uh, at the game, and I have a friend of mine. I'm actually I'm not going to a CR Prime. I'm going. I still play Sunday soccer and I'm driving. Okay. But I'm I'm okay. I got you on on uh, on the on the speaker here. But with the money that Toronto FC has played, with the payroll that they pay, I, I mean, you know, Bradley they're paying like six million dollars. Altidore another six million dollars, and Jovingo eight million dollars. Of the three, the one that really earned his money. Today it's been Jovinko. The other, the other ones, I mean, they have a big payroll, and and uh, I don't, I'm not thinking that they they're spending the money wisely, because Walter, between you and I, okay, I'm looking at the roster yesterday and the roster of TFC the last two years, and half of the roster is American. I mean, we're a multinational city. Toronto is, and well, since when America teaching football? I like to call it soccer, not soccer. I like to call it football. But since when are we taking lessons from Americans how to play football? Why well, I'm gonna have some to. Of, some of the Americans are playing in that team. They wouldn't have made the you know the the, the TND at my time. Carmen, I'm gonna have to challenge you on that, and and um, and I'll challenge you in this way. Um, uh, and and this this probably is going to lead into another converse, another discussion I want to have with you, which is in fact the status of the Canadian men's football team. I mean, let's be fair. Over the course of the last twenty years, the Americans have taken their football to a world class level, and Canada hasn't. I why? Why? I but tell me, tell me why? Because you remember, Kainmina, we played soccer. In fact, I, you know, you played in the minor soccer uh, wars in Toronto in the 1970s. You played for a club. If I'm not, cor- if I correct me if I'm wrong, the Westwood Beavers, and I remember playing against you. 
And there were some great players on, on, on some of the teams you played on in Canada in the 1970s, including you, Iarushi, and, and some others. And Canada was, if, if Canada wasn't equal to the United States in the 1970s, early 80s, it, it, it was better or equal, let's put it that way. And over the course of 20 years, the Americans have taken their game to a completely different level, and we've stayed, we've stayed static, or in fact, we've regressed. Why? I, I, I grant you that, because the Americans, you're right, since they've had the, the World Cup in 1994, they've spent a lot of money, they got the college system, and they they're, they're producing some very good players, but these are not world class players. Let's not forget the U.S. is rated you know something like 15, 20 in the world. Okay, they got good athletes, great athletes. Toronto yesterday had eight starters, eight American starters. Okay, when we won the championship with Toronto with Toronto Metro's Croatia, we were. Three, four local guys, Canadian, but we had eight international. This is an international city. We had Eusebio, Portugal, the great Eusebio. We had the great Ivaí Ferreira, Brazilian. We had uh, Sanold, was, uh, was German, uh, in uh, Bayern Munich. We had Hungarians. We had Croatians, First Division. So we, myself, Bobby Arushi, we were learning, apprenticing from this guy, from these guys. I mean, who? We got Hamilton, who's a Canadian boy. We got Osorio, who's a Canadian boy. Are these guys learning from, uh, with all due respect, from Altador, from uh, from Bradley? I don't think so. These are not. They're not great players. They're good players. But when we talk about ten million dollars between those two. I could build a team around the, the, the $10 million. You could get players in South America, in Africa, in Europe, in Eastern, in the Eastern Bloc. You could spend $10 million and build a winning team. We got two players, okay, that TFC spent over $100 million between the transfer and what they make. And, and I'm sorry, I, I don't want, I, and I'm controversial. I want to be controversial. And we want to hear the controversy. We want your okay. opinions. Listen, of the three, not because I'm in Italian, I don't want to be biased. Jovingo is the only one that really has earned these keeps and his money because he's been top players last year, top top scorer last year, and you, we measure success by the, the number of goals that you score. And Jovingo has done that. Last year, and he's done it this year. Unfortunately, he got, he got hurt, and that's hurting the team quite a bit. But at the end of the day, what I'm saying, those three players, TFC, has spent over $100 million for those three players, okay? There are teams in Europe, like, like look, look at Leicester last year. Leicester that didn't spend $100 million with the roster that they had, and they won the, they won the championship. And even this year, they're competing at the top level. And I'm, I bet any money that the payroll of Leicester is not $100 million between payroll and, and transfers, okay? So, anyhow, what I'm trying to say, uh, Walter, this, you know, this year, even it's, it's going to be another failure, I, I suspect, because TFC uh, is in, in a funk right now. They're not, they're not playing well as a team. The coach is another thing. The coach is an American. The general manager is an American. 
with all due respect, the president is American. I mean, we have an international city, and we all of a sudden, have Americans are telling, teaching us, the, the, the fans, the, you know, that have to play the game. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. I think, you know, I, I think we should have more international players. Kairmira, Kairmira, I'm going to have to interrupt you. We've just, we've just got a few minutes left, and Naz has been giving, my, my co-host has given me a signal here. He really wants to get into this conversation, so I'm going to give him an opportunity. I think the import rule is the problem in the MLS, right, Carmen? Because not, not necessarily, because uh, you, need, you need 50%, if I'm not mistaken, of North American content. Now, the other thing, that we, this is another controversy, because the Americans playing in Canada, they're, they're not foreign, okay? Correct. And the Canadians playing in the U.S., uh, they're foreign. That's so that's correct. That's another thing. That's another problem that, that, we, that I have. That's because the issue I was I talking about. My, yeah, when I played at my time, we had North American rules. Canadian Americans were equals, okay? So that's another controversy that, uh, you know, and that's not, uh, that's a bit of a CSA problem, I think, because the CSA should should ask for respect within the MLS, within the, the league itself, because it's not, you know, it, it's pulling down a Canadian content. The, the bit that we have, why would a Canadian be an import playing for an American team when an American playing for a Canadian makes team? No, that makes no sense to me. Now that's the rule, Wally. That's the rule. I'm embarrassed to say I wasn't aware of that rule, and I'm utterly flabbergasted by yeah, it. Carmen's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the rule. That's the way it is. And I, and I, like I said, I'm, I made, I was controversial when I got inducted in all of fame because I talked about this issue. But the problem here with the, sticking with TFC, the problem here, I think, that the money wasn't spent properly uh, because, as I said, we as fans of of soccer, of football, okay, we expect to have an Argentinian top player, a Brazilian. Even an African top player. Yes, an America Brown is a good player. Arturo is a good player. But are they worth the five, six million dollars that they're earning? I don't think so, personally. Okay? And if we look, and then we're, maybe we're running out of time, but if we look at the last month or so, with Bradley and Arturo, this team, it just by chance, is, is, has lost two games at home. And they tied three games at home. They were lucky to win in Chicago by a gift from the, the goalie from Chicago. I want to, I want to talk to you about the national team for for a moment. And you were, you were involved with youth soccer years ago. I remember you, and I don't know if you still are. But the the question is: at the youth tournaments, Canada fares pretty well against other countries, and even the the biggest countries. We're the talking younger, about men here. Men, okay, yeah. That's at the right. younger age, because the women seem to do. Seem what, to, are fine. What happens in between here? Between, because the final result or the final team that we have is not competitive. What do you think the issue is? Well, the issue is this. I, I could go back to my time, and as I said, I became a footballer, a professional footballer, playing alongside Eusebio, uh, the great Eusebio, Ivair, these great players. And these were international players. And... and I learned from that. Bobby Arushi learned from that. Bob Lenarduzzi learned from, you know, with the Vancouver Whitecaps. Bruce Wilson. We, we as Canadians, we were developing some good talent, young talent. But because of the NSL in my time, we had Pelé, we had Eusebio, we had Cruyff. I played with the great Johan Cruyff. When you just 
uh, with all due respect, I mean, I learned from Jan Cruyff, one of the greatest players of the time in the 70s. I mean, who's going to learn from Altador and Bradley, with all due respect? Is Osorio learning anything from Altador and Bradley? Is, is Hamilton learning anything from Altador? Well, I mean, if we make the comparison, we talk about Cruyff and Osorio. No times have changed, okay? That's how we as Canadians qualified for the only time in the World Cup in 1980, 80, in Mexico, was 84, I believe, 84. 86. 86, it was. 86. 86. Yeah, because that was a generation of players that played in the NSL along these great players, okay? And unfortunately, we fell behind. The U.S., they're producing some very good players. Some of them are playing in Europe. But if you look at they're playing as not stars. They're playing as, you know, like, like, like starters, but they're, they're average good players. But they're not international players. I could see a player from the first touch. And believe me, TFC, there's not many players that have a good first touch. The coach, unfortunately, is showing me that doesn't, he's not having the team playing as a team. Okay, they don't play as a team. They're playing, Walter, I don't know if you've seen the game, they're playing laterally. They take 10 passes and it's go, it goes from left foot back to the right foot back. Anybody could do that, but they don't, they're not direct as a team. They don't penetrate. They don't move as a team. So I have some issues with, with the way this team is also coached. I don't think they have enough talent personally. And it's probably not being coached. At, at the highest level for, for them to be successful. I may be wrong. They may be, I hope they prove me wrong. But the last five games, for me, is the telling story that they're having trouble as a team. Kind of minute, we're, we're, unfortunately, we're running out of time. And uh, this has yes. certainly been a, a thought-provoking conversation. So uh, TFC's got two games left. Uh, they're in the playoffs. They're guaranteed, I think, one home game so far, and depending on what they do in the in the last two games, uh, it's Not crucial. Yet. Not yet. Uh, because Montreal could still overtake them if they win the last three games. Anyways, and, uh, uh, we're certainly going to have. We're certainly we'll, we'll, we'll you know we'll we'll have a look at that, and we'll certainly. Uh, as we get into the thick of the of the playoffs, we're certainly going to have you back, and we're certainly going to pursue these uh, pursue this conversation. Thank you so much for your okay, time. Okay, Walter, pleasure. Take care. Have a nice day, Carmine. That, of course, was Carmine Marcantonio. He doesn't hold anything back, does no, he? No, but you know what? Uh, sometimes these things have to say have to be said. I don't necessarily agree with everything you said. I think you know. Uh, TFC's gone through a rough spell, but you know what? They're missing the best player but in the you league. Know, you know what? I mean, come what's on. What's affected right? the national team is the import rule. That's yeah. what I was I, getting I'm at. Fla- you know what, Nez? I'm flabber. I was not aware of that. I'm absolutely and utterly flabbergasted by that rule. Americans can play with no import quotas on the three Canadian teams, and Canadians are imports on the American, on the American team. teams. That that's that's the it's 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 silly beyond beyond silly because that's the only development that uh, the men's soccer program has, and when you yeah. do that, you just uh, you know you know TFC and you know we've got a few minutes left here. There's I wanted to get into some other topics, but maybe another minute with this one. Um, you know TFC's had a rough ride in this city since they started, and until last year, and they ended off miserably last year. Yeah, uh, they played horribly. Right Montreal. at the end, we had a great year. So Javinko had a fantastic year in those in those last games against Montreal. Just an 
abysmal end to a promising season. And I just hope we're not headed that way again this year. We Last night was a battle for first place. Yeah, but they haven't had, if we had a ankle for four or five yeah, games, and, and right? I get that, you and that's, that's got to be tough. I mean, sure come on. He's the best MVP in the league. Uh, I know teams are supposed to overcome that, but to overcome the loss of a player whose heads and shoulders better than any other player on your team, that's got to be tough. And and hopefully when Jovenko comes back, hopefully they can turn the ship around. And certainly we're going to love to have Kaderminit back on the show because uh, he's certainly got some strong well, opinions about the, this. Well, you take the U.S. team. How is it built? It's built through the MLS program. That's where it's built. U.S. team, the success of U.S. soccer is, to me, it's directly related to their college system. Okay? Yeah. The kids get scholarships. You know, even even the girls, the, the success of the Canadian uh, team um, is largely, the Canadian women's team is largely as a result of our of our women getting scholarships in U.S. But colleges. But, but you, because there's, we managed to keep our women around and involve them in a national Wally, program. Men, our the, men's soccer team, you can't even get them, you can't even get their get them released for for a game if they're playing in Europe. They don't want to send them back. But the kids, the kids, right? Go from go to college too that are Canadian born. Yeah. There's some really good. But there's no after the guy. The, the men's program is. A, I'm sorry to be critical, but I mean, but it's a mess. It's, but Wally, it's, where does it go? Where does it go? It uh, we're going to have. You know what? We're going to Carmen it back on the show. And we're going to talk about that. But we got two minutes left, and I want to talk about the World Cup of Hockey. Uh, I went. I went two minutes. Canada. Canada won the thing, but it was. You know what? I, I, I hate to say this, and and I'm I'm the biggest hockey fan you can possibly imagine. Red and white. Uh, I, I, I wear the Canadian flag in my heart. I love Canada. When they play the national anthem at a Canada-Russia game, it just it sends goosebumps up my spine. This was a miserable World Cup in terms of excitement. I went to the Team Europe, the, the first game on, on, on Tuesday night, uh, Team Europe and Canada. Uh, and there was absolutely no energy in the ACC whatsoever. None. It was a boring hockey game. Thursday night, except for the last three, three minutes, minutes, the last three was minutes a were boring great. hockey were great. game. Okay, and you know, in, you know, the purists must might like this. They might say, you know, Canada with Babcock, they play this fantastic system. Carey Price is the best goalie in the history of the game, and you can't score on him. But man, was that boring hockey! Naz, tell me I'm wrong, but that was boring hockey. It was hockey without passion, and hockey without passion is just. It's a snore fest. Yeah, the Canadians were. Tell just, me, I'm tell they, me, I'm wrong. The, no, and, you're and, not wrong. And with all congratulations to the Canadian team, they are, in terms of in historical context, this is the greatest collection of hockey players, other than the 1976 team, the greatest collection of hockey players in the history of this nation, and they've done it for six years, for eight years, and that. That may separate them from the 76 team because they've done it over a period of time. This, and and it's just like they were out there with shackles on. Wally, this tournament was set up because the thought is that they're not going to the Olympics. They cannot, in any tournament, compete with what goes on in the Olympics. And they better realize that and send a team, Canada, to the Olympics, their best team. And the NHL should go over. They've got to work things out because yeah. they were trying to do this to replace the Olympics. Is they don't want to go to the Olympics in two years, and uh, and it's wrong. They have to represent their country and go to the Olympics because that's the main tournament. Twenty seconds left. The thrill of this tournament for me was the under twenty three team. Um, who's the coach of that team again? 
the McClellan. Was it McClellan? The guy in McClellan Edmonton? McClellan was the You coach, know what? Yeah. He let them, he just said, you know, he said, Connor, Johnny Hockey, Nathan McKinnon, Austin Matthews, you know what? Go out there and play hockey. And man, was that great hockey. I hope he has the same thing I mean, for the Edmonton yeah. Oilers this year. That, that was the excitement of the tournament. The rest of it, it was utterly, other than Brad, the only thing I'll remember is Brad Marchand's goal. It was utterly forgettable. Uh, anyways, uh, it's been another great week on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Uh, to uh, all our listeners, have a fantastic week. We'll be back again next week. Go Sunday. Jays, go. Hopefully. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.